I mean, here we are, right, Derek? We're is this month three of our pandemic uh, palooza? So I'm a dork and I keep a journal at home. Do you really? Mm-hmm. And I write what I do every day. And then when we started social distancing, I started tallying the days. I think this is like day 98 or 99 for me. Yeah. Um, and we're actually sitting outside on a picnic table right now. Yeah. So we're not six like feet apart. Full. Yeah. As you scoot back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I the, the crazy thing, of course, now is just um, in, in, when we're recording this, at least like at least three or four or five southern states are like blowing up with people yeah after we've you know lived through this and um and it got me thinking just because i don't know about you but i just feel like why aren't we doing more like we're just kind of why why aren't we seeing particularly at the federal government level like more being done and it led me to think about taylor and these other triads that he has what we've talked about on this podcast before of the ancient regime the the world of kings and queens the age of mobilization and and there's a lot that goes into that um but i want to talk about it in a certain kind of vein but it is it is this sense of like we can mobilize our own life like we like if, if in the age of the kings and queens our society needs to reflect heaven, you know, just as God sat on the throne, the king sits uh, on, on his throne, and his realm should reflect heaven. It was yeah. a very top-down hierarchical structure. It was a very top-down hierarchical structure, yeah. And the age of mobilization. Right and all that kind all of that stuff. stuff. Yep. I, at the end of it, I mean, the divine right actually comes in because that stuff starts. It starts to threaten it, so they needed yes. a reason to like, right, say right, this exactly. is why we so have wait this. Wait a minute, old, this, yeah. we have to do this because of God, you know? Yeah. Where before that was just. People of just course. assumed it and didn't yeah. even question right. it, yeah. Exactly. And societies were smaller. and So the age of mobilization, is that like American Revolution? Enlightenment, yeah. life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that we should we should um, look to God for wisdom. We should look for God for God's plan. But really, the kind of society that we're going to live in doesn't have to reflect anything of God's. Yeah. We can mobilize our own society. It's the the private and public, kind of like we talked yeah, about yeah, before. Yeah, yep, definitely. It brings the pi- private and public in it. But there is this deep sense of mobilization. And then we enter into an age of authenticity. And the age of authenticity exists within, as we've said too many times in this podcast, an ethic of authenticity, which says no other human being should tell another human being you do how you. they should live, live their life. Yeah, yep. you, you do you. Yep. What I've been thinking a lot about is that, um, you know, the 20th century really at, at a certain level, I mean, mobilization can be thought about in a lot of different ways, right? But it, the 20th century particularly was a, mo- we mobilized societies and we mobilized big institutional institutions. Like the two world wars were huge mobilized operations, right? And industrialization was mobilized. And even after World War II, like the mass society was a huge mobilized, mobilizing the economy. Like these were huge mobilized operations. Or even that they got our grandparents to agree to ration coupons and yeah, nobody, well that, you know, thought ex- twice about it. Right. Well, that's exactly kind of like where where I am thinking about this is, um, and someone someone tweeted, I don't know who it was, but tweeted at me. It was like, what's happening right now in this country reminds me of what you said in, in Faith Formation and Secular Age about the age of authenticity and the need for duty or now the, the, the ending of duty is like here, you know, my grandmother who died last year, like she lived with this deep sense through, through the Depression and then in World War One of of sacrificing all sorts of stuff for the war effort. And we can't even get people to wear masks, man. Like, you know, we can't even get people to do that. And um, I don't know. It's led me to think about this. Like, and it, it doesn't feel like the federal government. I mean, so I, I just... It, I, I raise this for the podcast and people just to think about it. Maybe I'm wrong about this. But really, uh, one of the things that made, quote-unquote, America a world power, I was going to say make America great, but I think that's too loaded to yeah, say. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, go there. Yeah, right. Um, but was its ability to mobilize, like absolutely to mobilize. In, in, in America, particularly in the 20th century, 
for all its evils it had, and we're seeing some of those need to be rectified now and, 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 and dealt with, that because of its disconnection from the ancient regime and its imagination that it was fully a mobilized society from head to toe, is it could kind of operationally and institutionally mobilize itself really quickly. Yeah, so maybe you have to be like, you know, 45 or something or older to get this, but uh, or to have this feeling still. But there was this sense, and I had it, like, we would mobilize. We, we would be able to mobilize ourselves, and there'd be testing at every corner, and there would be some other larger structural realities. Our, our phones would be used to do, to do tracing, and that we would mobilize this, or we would have a vaccine maybe even by now, which everyone told us was ridiculous to think. But you just kind of thought, like, we can do this. If we could put a man on the moon, mobilize to put a man on the moon, we can do this. And it just seems like we can't do it. And that actually we're, we're worse than a lot of other countries at doing it. And I just wonder about how the the last part of the 20th century really was an age of authenticity that had its epicenter and birth in the American consciousness and that we've been living in these kind of fights of authenticity and our politics have really been taken over about really by differing forms of kind of identity authenticity conversations and Donald Trump is not a mobilizer he is an authenticity based president People either hate him because he grates against what they think is an authentic way of living, in a sense, or people voted for him because he represents something in their own identities. But he's absolutely incapable of mobilizing the institutional structures, mobilizing the government. Um, He actually attacked the government to get us anywhere to make to bring us forward in any way and so now where are we at like we're here we are we're you know his Tulsa rally he's saying he's slowing down testing and then his own people are like he was joking he's like I wasn't joking I actually mean we're slow slowing it down and in what he's in what he's saying is because when you test more you get you you you, you have more cases that's the absolute opposite of a kind of mobilizing perspective like I want to know where the problems are so we can mobilize to take care of them it's like no this is all marketing man it's all marketing. And so why would I want to know the bad news? Because I can't market that. And then my performative value towards my base's identity or the way it fuels the people who hate me's identity is just driven against me. So it's completely incoherent, but has a certain coherence, a diabolical coherence in its, in its complete and full locking in inside of authenticity. So I think probably every presidential candidate since Kennedy has had some kind of authenticity within him. Like Kennedy was even before the age of authenticity came in some sense, but it was had had to do with some kind of uh, you know looks and things like that and the way the TV camera played to him. Well, there's the Nixon Kennedy debate yeah, right, right, where right, Nixon right. had the flu and then they say that that was part of the turning point. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if he had the flu or he for sure didn't get he like just looked ma- like a cranky old man. He didn't get yeah. makeup well. Like yeah. Kennedy had like TV people get him ready for TV and Nixon came in and was like, it doesn't matter. And then the, the lights were hot and he started sweating and he looked like he was lying the whole time, yeah. which we found out he did lie all the time, but um, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting thing and I'm not sure. Yeah. It, we, you know, uh, it is, it is kind of a daunting thing that you're only 
really hope to get out of this is private markets. You know what I mean? Like private corporations and it being in their best interest because it's not in the it's not in the federal government or I should say in the reelection campaign of the president to mobilize the government to actually get out of this. What's most important for him is just. It's the narrative. It's the story. It's it, the identity. It's the it's the authentic it's the authenticity, you know. Um, so how could he wear a mask? Because he can signal to his people that he's the most authentic tough guy um, by by not wearing it. I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, if you're doing ministry or if you're doing anything in general, just living, I mean, do you, do you have to like put your flag in a camp or is it sort of like a blend between the two of them is the faithful way, faithful way forward? Or, or how do you think that you know, because cause it, it's just interesting because clearly both of them have their flaws. Like, the age of mobilization was great at leaving people out, right? Yeah. Well, it could mobilize in a way that it, it would actually make choices on who didn't get to participate yes, in the mobilization, yes, right? Yes, yes, yeah. But the age of authenticity sort of has this denial sometimes of, of logic and reason and ends up being harmful for other ways. Yeah. Like, I guess the thing I struggle with is, like, how do you how do you be prophetic in the midst of that? Or how do you figure out the faithful way forward when you have all of those sort of yeah influences coming in well i mean i think a co- there's a couple ways to think about it and i and i think y- your feeling of kind of uh, feeling pulled is true but i don't know if it's a pull between mobilization and um and authenticity i mean i think there's in a certain way not in the same way as we talked about the secular remember we talked about we didn't even know if we were right but we were talking about epigenetics and yeah. like, like once it arrives it stays you build it on top yeah right yeah, right yeah. It's, it's built it's built on, it's emergent it's maybe a better way to say it. it's an emergent category it emerges from something yes. else right um i don't even know if that's the same as epigenetic but you know it makes me sound smart because i guess what i'm asking are the ethics of mobilization and the ethics of authenticity are those competing against each other where you sort of have to pick one or the other? Is it a zero-sum thing? Yeah, there's never any real articulation of an ethics of mobilization, but I think you're right. For Taylor, there's always a presumed good life inside of each of those that that do direct human action. So, um, yes, there is a kind of sense, I suppose there is a mobilized ethic, an operational ethic inside the age of, of mobilization. Um, and it probably has a lot to do with some of the things that we've opposed. I mean, it has a sense to do with duty for your nation. Um, you know, it's, it probably has something like, what was that old thing? Like, uh, like, you know, um, I think my kids have at a song at their school. It's like, we do it for school, neighborhood and family country or, you know, like stuff like that. Like that would be the kind of ethic, you know, like, um, pledge of allegiance sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Kind of a pledge of allegiance kind of thing where, uh, a, a kind of leave it to beaver kind of thing, um, which, of course, like you're saying, left a lot of people out and right. a lot of people's experience out, you know. So it was it, it was unethical in its own way. And what what what's interesting and I think is, is really interesting is the difference between those is that in mobilization, it honestly doesn't really give for the most part a rat's ass about recognition. I mean, that's not completely true. It recognizes certain people and certain ways of life get recognized. And for in America, that tended to be 
white Protestant males, particularly yep. the ones who were recognized and had the most recognition. Yep. But it it kind of then tries to operate like it doesn't really run on recognition. And what the age of authenticity does is it actually says, whoa, wait a minute. There's a lot of voices who are not recognized in this way towards duty and kind of duty for the sake of mobilization and the recognition that happens is so narrow for those people. That's not, a, that's not enough. That's not, a, that's not a, enough of a human experience. So recognition becomes a really significant thing. Um, and uh, how we unpack that is really, really important. One of the issues if we if we want to go here that we face is that recognition rightfully gets brought to the surface in an age of authenticity but coming alongside from the age of mobilization was a certain economic category so the way capitalism functioned in mobilization is it it had functioned in a certain way but sometime in the 80s the way capitalism worked is that a lot of um, the restrictions got pulled off of it. So you get something that's called neoliberalism, which comes from kind of a Reaganomics yep, right. and, and, and Thatcher kind of uh, perspective, which is this idea that what really stabilizes a society, and we've talked about the um, dynamic stabilization, is, is growth. Is mm-hmm. Growth does that. What I, what I don't think we've dealt with is that in an age of authenticity, we rightfully turn and say it's time for recognition. And recognition, we need to have a rendering of how recognition gets distributed through this country. And that's, in many ways, what's happening right now. Absolutely necessary, absolutely good. For the first time, corporations are actually looking at certain products and things and saying, this is negative recognition, or we owe it to this other... um, to other people not represented in our society to give them recognition within this. This is all incredibly important. The issue we haven't dealt with, and even like a lot of black scholars will point to here, is we still have to deal with the, the injustices inherent within neoliberalism in the idea that ultimate growth and growth on top of growth exponentially, that's always, that's always fueled by competition, how do you deal with that system that was unleashed at the very end of the age of mobilization and has in some ways um, the age of authenticity and its consumer drive has been built off of it. But the issue just becomes, especially when, you're, when you release into society tools like Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, um, Instagram, these are certain tools that take a neoliberal economy and put it into attention, um, the attention economy, and put it into, quite honestly, recognition. So now recognition through those sites has no end ethically. There's no direct kind of telos goal eschatological horizon it's directed towards, and it can be continually exponentially grown. So recognition can almost become unleashed from from humanity in certain ways and the the part of the issue which makes recognition a necessary justice issue is it is it it's it's not completely exponential like because people can only emotively care about one thing at a time or a couple things at a time or even be aware of everything because because that's finite it means 
some people will be recognized and others won't at certain levels. Now, we need to create a just society where everyone's recognized enough that they can live a good life. So are you saying that like recognition in its purest form is like an emotional, relational type of reality, but because of capitalism and the way that our system works and this neoliberal, you know, like you said, exponential need for growth, it's sort of become a capital in and of itself, and that's just not the way that it works. And so there's sort of this flaw at the heart of it all. Is that kind of what you're saying? What or? I'm saying is that there's something inherent in our humanity that needs recognition. Yes, that I need to be recognized by people for my own unique identity and for uniquely who I am. Yeah. However I describe that. I really can't be human without being heard. That's just a human I base need necessity I that you need. I absolutely need that. Yes. So in an age of mobilization where it said, some people we don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. We don't care what you have to say. Right. And we're going to do something worse. We're going to look at you and nod and then never actually recognize you or tell you we've rec- we're recognizing you but never recognize yep. you. Like that's part of what's happening here. Right. Like, okay, yeah, since the Civil Rights Movement, you told us we've been recognized. We haven't. Right. You were not recognized. You, you had no idea what this is like. And we could tell by the way the cops treated us in our neighborhoods, right? And so that's just a core human commitment that people need to be recognized. The issue becomes when when identity shifts to be completely performative and then you win, you, you start to imagine that you can win recognition as something even over and against that your kind of core humanity. And now I go on a, a site and am I the one who puts the, the comment or puts the video that everyone follows and watches. So when you start to blend the human necessity for recognition with a almost uh, with a micro with a micro ability to be a celebrity and that kind of recognition, then you start to have competing ethical horizons. You know, so like I think the civil rights movement at its core and even the, in the movement that's happening now, the Black Lives Matter movement that is really based on um, you have to, if you're going to see my person and I need to, actually if you're going to be a person, you have to make a confession that black, black lives matter. You have to recognize um, my humanity and then we have to have a big conversation about the institutions and the way um, uh, uh, bodies are seen differently and violence is projected on them. You ha- we have to do that. That's that's ultimately important but that has a moral horizon that's beyond just recognition for recognition's sake yeah and and it also then escapes hyper forms of individualism which my issue is some of these tools that we have in the internet and things like that are really based on individualism consumerism neoliberalism so it just becomes now i'm competing with you and we actually may be in the same movement but who's who's really I mean, this happens probably in, in, in every way. I mean, competition, I mean, there's a sinfulness of human beings in some ways. But there, we just now have these hyperly, um, we just have these tools that can, that can lead us to compete that way. And so when recognition can always and continually be exponentially added to and individualized, then all of a sudden the objective, the moral horizon that I am trying to move towards becomes actually the moral horizon is that you 
recognize me, not like who I am at my core and the identity and the story I've lived through and the, the events that have made my identity, but that you recognize me as singularly unique. So this is the other thing. Like I've been reading this this other German thinker, kind of like Hartmut Rosa, but he's written this book that's just as I'm I'm waiting to get it. And I've heard his lectures on YouTube. He wrote a book called The um, Invention of Creativity, which is really phenomenally interesting that I'm going to write on soon. But he wrote this other book. I can't remember what his title is, but it's something Singularities, and it's just been translated. It's been out in German for a few years. I don't want anyone to assume that I've read it in German because that's. I haven't, um, but uh, have heard him lecture on YouTube. But his whole point is that there's something inherent within modernity that's always driving towards and has its highest good in your singularly uniqueness. And that will be an issue as we try to work out justice, is that the objective cannot just be to create a world of singularly unique people competing, having to compete to be unique. And different different voices rising up inside movements or, or in competing movements to find that singular uniqueness. There has to be some sense, and this is the struggle we deal with in late modernity, there has to be some sense of the legitimate and humanizing collective and collective vision. Um, like, and there is something in Christian theology to remember about that. that. That's part of the commitment to the church, that the church is not... The church is made up of persons who have their being in and through the collective community. Um, that and that's and we encounter Jesus Christ with within that. So it honors and recognizes distinct persons and distinct persons' journeys and stories. But it also remembers that we have our humanity and being in some kind of collective that has a horizon beyond it. Like the church doesn't even exist for itself. The church exists for the world and for the coming of God. You know what I mean? Um, but in a certain hyper-consumeristic politics of recognition, man, it can be just a drive towards singularity and a drive towards ultimate uniqueness. New Time Religion featuring Dr. Andy Root is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. You can check out Andy's latest book, The End of Youth Ministry, available now that touches on many of the themes that we talk about in the podcast. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R guild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for another round of New Time Religion.